Maker of Chains. Hello, greetings. Welcome back to Makers of Chains. I am Matt. Today I'm here with a special guest who might be our third wheel or first spoke, whichever, Sean. Sean, um, Sean Puffy Chains. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he'll be a designated hitter from time to time in place of Patrick or said uh, Tom Town or Purple Teletubby, whoever we have representing our other side of Makers of Chains. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a slew of things, but we just wanted to first get uh, Sean here um, sort of into the maker chain space, being that he's already in the blockchain space in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So, in your best poetic self, why, who, when, what, when, where did you get into this space? Uh, well, uh, I guess I started a meetup. Through uh, Coco, uh, well, Coco Cabana, formerly yeah, Coco Cabana. I was in the tropical uh, profession. No, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I was uh, co-working, right? I yeah, co-working, and um, I went to get a resume critique um, through the owner of Coco, which is now Field Collective, um, which ended up becoming "What Are You Passionate About," which. Preceding this time, I had been uh, researching blockchain, cryptocurrency, all these things, like 20 hours a week for, must have been like eight months or so. Uh, Almost the full term, and you gave birth. Yeah. 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 What did you give birth to? That's the question. Like, was it a xenomorph or? It was a bike. A block, a bike chain? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just uh, the spoke. There were spokes involved. I think that's what um, where it got hairy. Matt Sally, okay, I dig it. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. Oh man, I, I especially enjoy the car scene, which is most of the movie, isn't it? But it's the diner. Too. I mean, I think I they should merge it with Real Mama from the Train. What is that? I mean, we could start a side chain in this conversation. And create a, another podcast <laughs> called Throw Mama from the Chain. <laughs> Where we get off? Which you oh, have to chain. watch. It's a classic 80, late 80s film, maybe early 90s, starring the lady from The Goonies, the villain, okay. the mom. Yeah. And Billy Crystal plays her kid, oh. Danny DeVito. Okay. So Billy Crystal hires Danny DeVito, or vice versa, to murder the mom. Whoa. In a very sort of dark comedy, black comedy sort of way. Right. But I digress. Uh, it's just, it's like in the world of co-opting domains, like people buy domains in the event of one day sell them. You can just <laughs> buy podcast titles in the event of one day sell them, so throw mama from the chains and I should be on, I should be buying the domain right now. It's like hodl podcasting. Pod, podcast hodling. Yeah, so you, so you gave birth to your interest <laughs> in, in the space Right. After eight, eight months or so. Yeah, yeah. And, and instead of, like, you know, what to do with my resume, it became more about, like, well, why don't you uh, bring that conversation here in, in this creative, collaborative, coding environment? And I was like, cool. Um, so did that and had no idea what to expect because, honestly, like, really, I just needed an outlet. Because I, like, didn't have a community really formed around this stuff. Did you, really, did you need an outlet or really, like, a full-scale production search protector? Because uh, you're, now, you're now plugged into a lot of aspects of the blockchain. Right. Community in the land of Minnie and Paul, correct? True, true, yes. Yep. Yeah, so probably the search protector, ultimately, but I didn't realize that that's what I was embarking on in the beginning, you know, which is what's exciting about it, because I've just been kind of following, letting the story follow, uh, or I've been letting the story lead my path, in the sense that, like, wherever the passion is going is what the next steps are. So, um, and, like, I think we've talked, too, about, like, pioneering, pioneering in the dark, because this is a new space, and yeah. we only have certain reference models to look at these ingredients that are making up what it completely is, but um, 
Yeah, so that, that seems to be like the guiding light as far as like where I'm heading, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Is, you know, the connections that are genuine that I make with people. Right. So, which yeah. has led me here. Right. So you do <laughs> Blockchain Thursdays at former Coco Now Fuel Collective, and that's uh, every Thursday now, or is it every other Thursday? And you're kind of going on a rock tour of like circling all of the all of this, all of the fuel collective spaces throughout the cities or something? Right, yeah. So um, it was every Thursday just at the downtown location up until now, until this week. I'll be moving to every other week and then narrowing the focus of each uh, meeting into more specific topics. Um, previously, it was more of a casual, all-day, open, come-as-you-please type thing. Right? Yeah. Now... <clears throat> Um, that we have a member base we can kind of um, draw people for specific reasons um, in terms of like um, topics and stuff and how we can uh, I guess control the conversation in a way that everybody wins a little more in the situation right um, so you would say it would, would I be accurate in assessing it as before it was a way to just create a platform to, to gravitate as many people interested in the space as possible and now doing that for a while it's about curation yeah yeah that's curating particular sub-interests within the industry right yeah exactly yeah because and then what's cool is because of uh, the results another byproduct is that there's micro communities that have evolved from it too so yeah, it's not something, I guess control isn't the right way of framing it, but it's like uh, um, just figuring out the consensus of like what people want out of something in general and yep. trying to experiment with providing the right experience for that consensus. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You're also, the meetup, like the actual meetup, you were doing Ethereum of the North, you're involved in that some capacity, which is a, another outlet to engage casually at night, not necessarily during the day. Um, is that like, was that once a month? Or how often does that occur? Yeah, it's designed to be once a month, sometimes too. Um, that was my first exposure to like the social realm of this space yeah and meeting people um so yeah that's definitely like uh, more of a casual tap room uh, tap room type experience you know where you can meet anyone um with different roles or interests in the space um without that specific control around the curation the curation is much more broad you know and uh flexible mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was where I, you know, first learned, you know, how mining works or talking about specific projects that were interesting to me on Ethereum or, yeah. um, just, that was kind of, you know, chopping the, uh, or cutting the teeth in the foundational sense of how the technology works. Um, yeah, yeah. I host, I help host that. I think the, the, the creators of it are off doing their own projects and things now, but yep. I am one of the co-organizers. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And now you uh, have just started also TCB, Twin Cities Blockchain. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Patrick. Yep. Yep. And uh, that is a, a more focused um, initiative to get involved with a client or clients who need help understanding um, blockchain technology or Web 3.0 in general in the sense from, does this apply to my business architecture? Do I need this? Do I just want to learn about it? Do I have specific questions um, that can be more custom tailored to um, my business or our organization? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Patrick and I are kind of co-founding that. He's kind of like uh, um, 
Abbott and Costello? Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, now, uh, and this is something we've uh, talked about consistently, frequently in the last month or so. Uh, I've known. This is how I met Sean and how this whole space is, from the way I see it, coalesced over the last six months. It's been about six months now, yeah. where I met you at a at a blockchain Thursday. Uh, well, we we met briefly at Dave, one of Dave Duchini's events, yeah. Blockchain 101 events. Yeah, the one it was really at the Thursday. That's where you, I first, talk. I think I first heard you talk mentioning, asking about Merkle trees. Yes. And I was like, I gotta talk to that guy. Yeah, yeah, because I was curious as to if it was all about Merkle trees scaling up into Merkle forest or what else was going on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that, and being Earth Day this past weekend, mm. Wondering if everyone went out and planted their Merkle tree as a conscientious Web 3.0 person would, they will. Uh, I mean, in a way, we're like the Johnny Appleseeds of, of crypto, where we go around from the country, mostly metaphysically over the, over the web, right? We go around the country and the world, and we, we uh, place the Merkle tree seeds for eventual ripening and growth and use and etc. Uh, but we've been talking a lot about uh, what this could do for art and art communities and concepts of ownership, accessibility, um, uh, what blockchain can do with fractionalizing and a fractionalizing system that could be portrayed or utilized in the sense of not one person owning a Van Gogh, but like two million people having one each with a two millionth ownership stake in a, in a Van Gogh, and then using the collective money in that to, along with other pieces, to curate a specific museum that would be a unique experience as to what, similar to maybe what we have now or maybe entirely different. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea of giving artists more creative control around um, not just the art they make as a creation, but also incorporating the aspect of economy into the creation itself, like kind of baking it, baking them together because... Easy bake? Easy bake it. Yep. Just throw it in the, under the... 40 watt light bulb and like let it rest. Yeah. The uh, Christmas gift of 80 Splendor, at least from my childhood, I could recall. So it's a one and done easy big situation. Sure. I had the, uh, the, uh, the gooey uh, chemistry center where it was like, you know, make this crazy sugar potion out of these weird beaker, okay. beaker things. And yeah. Mad scientists. I was always I was always fascinated by anything that Nickelodeon came out with, Gak, <laughs> yeah. any of that stuff because no matter what it was that I was coming out with, I'm, I was going to scrounge money to up whatever I needed to do to buy some of that to nuke it because I wanted to know what any of this stuff nuke would it? do under under the stress of microwave. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Not an easy bake. Not an easy bake. No. Oh, okay. No, I was, I'm sort of like. Borrowing off of my sister's childhood as a as a shared experience of both children of the eighties and the and the easy bake craze, but it's very <laughs> very easy bake to do. And digressing, they smell weird, like gak. Oh, especially when you cook them. Yeah, <laughs> and even weirder when you eat it. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about doing an art show. Some yeah. capacity of blockchain or Web 3.0. Uh, I going back to my one of my rules. I'm more and more avidly imposing on myself is using the word less, using blockchain less and less, because uh, it's at a point where it's been uh, abused, like as much as Excel. Excel is the world's most abused piece of software. I think. 
blockchain being a spreadsheet, as some people call it, it is also what's for, what's up with spreadsheets and being abused? I don't know. We should call it a yeah. We campaign thought, for that, but right. I don't even know if digressing at this point is a good wedge to change direction because this is all a digression. But it's a good one. <laughs> but the art, the art thing would be fascinating because we've talked about having an installation for what is value, the history of money, history of value. Um, yeah, I think it's like a super like, untapped community as far as um, this space. I think obviously like the fintech thing is kind of like really where a lot of it is focused right now and like business applications, but which is awesome. Like those are all crazy cool. Um, but in terms of like, but are they? Never. Well, not yeah, maybe yeah. not all of them. <laughs> That's for another episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we just are they? Burn the banks. Yeah. As Shakespeare said, kill the lawyers. Well, right. But I also see. It. Yeah, but like, well, on that point, that you're right. That is a whole other episode because that's you know that gets into the the timeline of adoption, which is like you know, uh, it's like how do you get to? It's like the same thing with the magic sauce in between, right? From A to B, like you've explained before. Um, how does Visa work? Well, no one really, frankly, like cares. They just use it because it's accessible, convenient, and a little, I guess, more trustable than cash. I don't know. It depends who you're talking to. Yeah, trust is a weird <laughs> world for me. Even, I think blockchains helped me sort of reformat my ideas on, on trust, trustlessness, trustless environment. Who guards the guards? And I'm re-pivoting to re-engineer uh, my own binary sense of that. And an example is when we brought, like, we just brought this up where... I think trust is an overabused marketing scheme. Uh, it's there, yes, but it's the Facebook thing. Where honestly, I know personally, and you know, watching some of these sort of uh, canvassing of, of Facebook users talking to a particular person, being like, "Yeah, I've been violated." Facebook uses my data because they got it from a friend downloading this app from Cambridge Analytica. And the question is, do I trust Facebook? And they're like, hell no. Do you use Facebook? Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, trust is not uh, in this example, but it is a lot of people. Trust isn't the end-all be-all to make a decision on turning that switch on or off. And uh, I, I, humans are lazy, right? And uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of familiarity with pe being sold uh, convenience, right. and uh, Visa can definitely sell the idea of convenience to us, right? Because right. it's a, it's an ordeal. I mean, especially when I first used a Bitcoin and it was to tip somebody on a website. Like they had a wallet, the public key, here you go. Yeah. Uh, and I got an email saying, thanks for the tip. Now, back then, who knows what they did with that tip. That tip I gave them then was 30 cents, and now it's $4,000 or whatever. But that we all have those stories, right? So it sort right. of equals out or zeroes out. Uh, Utility is the point here. Um, to much of this. Um, and we talked about art in the sense of uh, you don't need to trust that. Right? Because that you're sort of exposed to an experience, whether it be a canvas or a bronze sculpture or pencil drawing, whatever. And you don't need to have uh, this experience with an artist when it comes to trust. Because they have a meaning to the thing. And after that, your engagement with that thing is completely post-trust. Hmm. 
There's no there, that that relationship is not necessary in any capacity. Right. Uh, it's completely individual. Right, and then it goes into one person seeing a single singular piece or experiencing a installation or whatever, and having profound spiritual impact, and the other person could be come out of there and be like, "That's the most offensive thing I've ever seen." Yeah. You know, right. and so it's not up to the artist in a lot of capacity. Uh, I would have. I mean, maybe that's the difference between art and marketing, is that the artist doesn't have a need to uh, present that aspect. They're, they should really be a conduit to a particular energy, putting that energy into the world, and then however people respond to that is how they respond. Especially now, yeah. because we're so small, mm-hmm. we're so connect, connected, is that... There's, there's no possible way to go into a piece or to go into a, a plat, whatever it is, a platform of expression and consider everyone's bias, everybody's per, perception or perspective of the world to absorb the thing that you're, you're to, to put, you know, to respond to the thing you're putting out there. Like, that's impossible. That's, yeah. like John, that's like Jim Carrey in, what was that, Mighty Joe Young? No, I was like, Oh, that was a movie about a monkey. Bruce Almighty. When he, he's just like, yes to all, because he can't handle answering all the world's prayers. He's just like, yes to all. Yeah, when, he, yeah, when he's sitting at the computer. And he's yeah, and chaos ensues. Yeah. And in some ways, it might be empowering for an artist to say yes to all, in that it doesn't mean anything at that point. You're just, you're responding, but the response is just a basic cordiality. But it's it's beyond that. It's nothing. It's like okay, I acknowledge you said something, but I'm still gonna put the thing out there. Mm-hmm. And well, and it's like opening in that sense of energy, like untapped markets, right? Like parts of value that already exist in that energy format in a metaphysical way, but there's no way of of acquiring said metaphysical value and maybe exchanging it or applying it to that formation or that. Uh, composed idea that an artist has created. I mean, right. and then when we're talking about program design in conjunction with economy, it's like that's where I think creativity can can really get in there because now you can design your these untapped economies right. in ways like it's already unfathomable to think, oh, I could open up all this value that already exists in the world, but then on top of it, I can like I can uh, manage the the way that that's designed, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think scarcity is another really cool idea behind digitized art and being able to actually, you know, similar to how, like, an artist signs 50 prints or something, limited edition, you know? Yeah. Just uh, minting 50 digital copies of and tying them to some token, you know? And right. Yeah, it happens just like that. Yeah. That, and my pr- particular experience with this was when I started using a scribe.io in 2013, 2014, which is a company out of Germany, and it was a stumble upon experience. Like I never I wasn't seeking this. It was like one of these things I didn't know existed, but I wasn't looking for it. And but I, it was brilliant at the time because at, at that point I was doing a considerable amount of Digital artwork, graphic design for people, package design, etc. Thing, things that had IP, visual IP. I mean, if you're gonna take the art and transfer it into like business logic, huh. uh, and I saw this, and I was like, okay, uh, I can take my artwork, I can upload it, it, it tethers it to the Bitcoin blockchain. So in that sense, when you mentioned token, in this case, it does that, except with Bitcoin in particular. And it, uh, it generates for me a, pu- a public hash key that was primary, at the time, their primary point was there's places in the world that don't have copyright laws, that don't have IP laws. Uh, but first and foremost, it was a mechanism for attribution. 
So an artist could do something digitally in this world where you can just hit Control-C, Control-C, Control-V, or if you're an Apple person, Command-C, Command-V, because uh, I don't want to rock the Apple card here. And, <laughs> and that, that's it. And like your, your barrier to, for protecting that work was, it was really hard. Right? So Adobe, you can watermark things and stuff, but it's all metadata that most people don't pay attention to unless it gets ugly and you're, you're going to like courts and things to deal with things, with stuff. Yeah. And I saw with Ascribe, this is a major way to accelerate or remove a lot of that mediation, a lot of, a lot of those problems, uh, because you had a quick and fast way of just telling the entire internet based on a highly secured platform that, hey, this thing I did is mine, and it's immutably time-stamped, and deal with it. And that's something we had not had before in the IP world or in the, in the case, art world. So I started doing that with all my digital assets. Uh, wow. like, so there's entire websites I've done where every single visual asset on there, and I started doing it with PDFs too, but every visual asset on there would have its own hash key and was tethered to the to Bitcoin blockchain. And then as, you know, rolling up to last December when it hit peak, some of those some of those assets got fairly valuable. <laughs> I mean, they def- they defaulted out to a certain you know decimal point, but that was when the decimal point like now you're talking about a thousandth of a thousandth of something, and now it's on the other side of that decimal point. I was like, okay, this is incredible. But you could make up the like you could just literally just be like, okay, I want ninety nine copies, and it would just automatically generate ninety nine hash keys for ninety nine authentic. Quotes, but it created a, now a negotiating platform that artists didn't have before with this system. Mm-hmm. And f- subsequent systems have come out. You're currently working with one uh, doing a similar regard to that. Uh, yeah, I'm looking into seeing how I can help, um, I guess, advocate for their brand and, and, and uh, get the Twin Cities art community there's any way that they'd like to tap into the art of world community or you know because um, I think they're east coast so rare labs yeah and um, yeah that's essentially essentially what they're really they're I mean the whole thing really comes down to and there are people who know this stuff really well but like game theory to the governance protocol I think is really what will win out um, and I like that um, rare is is attempting to Take this like, not to be confused with the company from the nineteen nineties who made the Killer Instinct game. <laughs> Completely different. Oh really? Yeah. Well, yeah. This is more. Uh, this is ERC twenty token on top of Ethereum, so it's yeah. all on Ethereum. But yeah. it's, you know, their own governance as far as who curates the art, um, how the <coughs> registry is handled. Um, what art gets put on there, um, what art gets challenged as being meeting the standards of the, the, the delegates or witnesses or however you want to call it. Um, and all that's tied to uh, the rare token. So it's like proof of stake kind of model in that sense, I think, is what they're going for. Yeah. It, this isn't launched yet, so it's, it's, I think it's kind of relying on some factors underlying factors that Ethereum is trying to still in their roadmap complete but um, yeah it's I think what will come down to what makes it more interesting is the people who start thinking about the governance side of any model and whoever can create that those niche economies like the art curation or scarce art community with the best governance model well, just the governance is like the skeleton, yeah. And then like the people, the artists, the community is all just like are the closet. Yeah. No. No. The something else. They're like the. They're like yeah. They're like the the the, the meat. I was <laughs> thinking so like the government skeleton, <laughs> and the artists are He Man. Who's Who's He Man? I forget. No. We'll just mark that as a poignant thing. Because he's being serious right now. <laughs> Digressing. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, cool. So you have these so, relationships. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm building some. I'm trying to build some more relationships with specific um, 
people who are trying to work on tokenized economies. So that I'd like to, and this is something we talk about a lot already, is like, there's a lot of people talking about this stuff, but who's doing things? Who's yeah. actually trying to like, uh, quote, mainstreamize this stuff, you know? Um, if there isn't people talking about it out in the open, if there aren't like events associated with something that's tangible that people can like bring home, and to me, art is like one of the greatest things. Like if, if I was on a Sunday, I'm busy all week, and I don't necessarily want to learn about blockchain. I, you know, I care about tech because I care about Facebook and privacy and yada yada. But I don't really want to like invest, you know, into like some long, you know, twenty week process of figuring out how this stuff works for you know fun. Right. Like I got kids to take care of or something else, and yeah. so maybe on a Sunday I, I go. I I like to go to the art community events or something. And at one of these events, maybe you know, that's where Rare has maybe they've set something up where they're. You know, actually tokenizing art live and handing it out, digital prints, and now you actually get to walk away with this scarce piece of art that's tokenized, and you can go check the Block Explorer anytime. You can see how the value of it is doing. I mean, it totally ties you to this new economy, and I think if people can have something physical, that's why I like the art thing, because it, 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 art opens up that part in our mind that connects us to innovation and, and things, and, and that's where all this stuff comes from to me, whether it's tech or law or business, it's all innovation, creativity, and art is like the symbol of that. So if, yeah. if, if I can be learning about the powerful impact that a tokenized, uh, decentralized, immutable public ledger can have on my art that I just so happen to like enjoy, and it's also opening my mind up in that way, and I can learn in tandem how that's connected to other things just by virtue of, I don't know, evolution of time. With, yeah. it, it's like a cool way to explore this stuff, I think, without investing a lot of like textbook time into it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so pivoting yourself to find a use case for your role in the space. So you've, that you've, come to terms where you've known that, okay, I'm not going to sit down and learn Python and Go and Ruby and Java, et cetera, et cetera, to know that that's, right, that's not my place in this, but my place is uh, a power user with, and knowing that this, a power user in the sense of finding, like actually finding use cases for yourself governed by the things that you enjoy, art, music, uh, advocacy, etc. And but at the same time, we we share a common thread of if this just stays, the danger of this taking longer to to adopt. Uh, one of the main or a primary villain in that case is the over academicizing of transactional databases and and all the yarn, because, yeah. I mean, in that sense, art almost does a better job, because I think actually one of the, like, what I find interesting about my experience of art is that it has the ability to criticize uh, life on life's terms, not necessarily, not, you know, it's not criticizing life down to the person it doesn't scale that in that way that's what politics are for politics are about crit criti criticizing a person <laughs> and art does a really good job of criticizing just life without malevolence because uh, criticism could just be like questioning something right. why it's here why what, whatever and, it, does, and it, it gets even more interesting when it does it to itself uh because right, it also has that mechanism of not taking itself too seriously uh, and it working well in that, in that case. Uh, I wonder, this would be interesting, if, because when, when we're dealing with legacy pieces and we're dealing with like the big stuff, uh, Gustav Klimt's and the Picasso's of the world, and these things are considered priceless, and yet someone just bought a Klimt or a Picasso not too long ago for over $100 million uh, as an individual 
purchase, like Bill Gates on some of the uh, pages of Leonardo da Vinci. And then, and that's one thing, and we more or less kind of accept that, like, well, if the highest bidder's willing to pay that, they're willing, willing to pay that. Though there's a lot of scrutiny behind museums of one country owning all this great art from another culture, from another time, that has, that's sort of, you know, the result of whatever nation building, colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it would be interesting, or do you think it would be interesting? I think it would be interesting if we got to a point where we could use transactional databases and smart contracts to delegate, sort of making sure that these pieces are still protected, right? Because that's, I, I sort of try to reduce everything down to the abstract utility of it and then work. Yeah. Work, work in the direction of then telling the story to justify that abstraction. Mm -hmm. uh, That's cool. To, would it be interesting to, if we got to a point to utilize these things where we could go to a museum and we know the museum is essentially a vault to protect this pe these pieces of art. And then we, we've formatted the UX UI for humans to interact with the art in whatever capacity. Like it's right. in airtight cases, it's temperature controlled, blah, 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 because we're all fighting time as well, right? Even the Mona Lisa has cracks in it. <laughs> if we could somehow leverage diplomatic negotiations between countries of like having a blockchain where we just fractionalize, you know, a collection of art from Africa that's sitting in the British Museum and the fight for one country to claim back their cultural pieces or not. However it was done, right? The historical way that was managed. Yeah. To provide to the public a way to fractionalize all those pieces. So I'm essentially investing in, we call it stock, whatever, whatever word we need to make to normalize the exchange. Uh, I can buy a fraction of this collection and the money is exclusively used to either help it get back to its point of origin, uh, simultaneously protect it, right? It's not, it's not filling the owners of the museum's coffers or whatever. It's exclusively, and that's what the smart contract could delegate uh, as well. But then the other thing that would be very interesting is that what if, so one of my favorite local artists is uh, Scotty Munster. He does a lot of tattoo work now. He's, he did a lot of, this sort of like a blend of pop culture, but very high, high color, high resonance in that case. He like does the, he does very cool versions of the, uh, that 80s serial of the monsters, Frankenberry and all that stuff. <laughs> and he was at, he was at, uh, he was at uh, Glamdell Donuts in the Northeast space. Okay. He had a lot of art in there and it sold like, I mean, everything from like 300 bucks to thousands and like it just sold like nothing. And I was like almost curious as to, well, what if we created a, had a blockchain system that could get artists more money than ever before? Like, and it didn't require personal, necessarily, personal individuals buying those pieces. What if we created an incentive mechanism for people to keep the art in a communal space, but the artists are actually making way more money mm. off, that, off that deal, right? So like in this case, Scotty Munster would have all of this art like permanently or up up until like Glamdahl gets sick of it or whatever, but they would be permanently in there and he's making ten times more money directly off people being like, I ha I find more value in being able to go to Northeast and see all this culture that you've created, as opposed to an individual. Yeah. And but be because we're able to fractionalize that down to like if you just want to put in a dollar or a million or even a nickel. And having every be, everyone be able to do that seamlessly, like yeah. that's a very fascinating. That reminds me of that. That's amazing. I think that would be awesome. I, it changes the idea of like personal ownership into more like communal ownership and and environment, and then the relationship that the environment plays on the collection or or just a piece or however it is. And um, I think what could, what first comes to my mind then is we're talking Glamdahl or donut shops. And I'm thinking, well... Donuts, yeah. Yeah. Very important. I'm thinking donuts now. 
I like donuts, man. I had actually went there this morning. How weird oh. is that? Like I was there. Yeah. That same. I, this one. wasn't a setup. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I just got a classic, classic glaze, yeah. and a cold press. But anyway, side chain. Uh, I. Uh, it makes me think about curation for restaurants in general, or like environments. Uh, uh, like what we were talking about, indeed, and yeah. how that is with Chuck U. Like, essentially, that's kind of like what's going on there. Then I mean, it, except that that value isn't being represented that way but um, they've basically like yeah Indeed is now the, the house that Chuck you built right it's the <laughs> Chuck you museum that sells beer right. which isn't a slam I'm just like saying like it's, it's very cool. much it's cool it's a like, tip of the hat to, it's connecting yeah. artists to environments and and other business models um, like eating food or drinking beer right I think uh, Betty Danger is another interesting one. I think they have an aesthetic there that is almost artistic that invokes like a, you know, Betty Danger, Psycho Susie's. Almost, yeah. It's almost like a uh, interior design. It's like it's like yeah. part of becoming more up to, in the hands of the artist than it is like, uh, I don't know, the construction code and whatnot. It's like there's more of a relationship going on with that as part of the branding element. So... I'm also wondering then if that would be in part uh, this smart contract would be in part with, with Glamdoll, but there might even you know there be a cycle going on maybe every two weeks or a month or ever the contractor relationship is. But in these cases like Indeed, where you have Chuck U House, it's like yeah that would be like a contract for as long as the restaurant is, which could be cool. Like a, it would be an ongoing relationship. Well, he's, yeah, he's permanently he's permanently tethered to the DNA of Indeed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Never mind us. We don't have a big band with us. Like, you know, we're not a late night like show. Letterman. We don't have the roots somewhere <laughs> in the back, background here, though. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Yeah, and art definitely is. We need a crypto band. Well, you can make the tiny album for that. <laughs> I got plenty of I've got plenty to start it so right, right. <laughs> yeah, make sure that all the names are of the, that particular album are various public keys for all your crypto wallets <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but don't tell anyone that because they the only way they'll know is if they listen to this episode which is important for them so we've immediately outside of all the other value proposition we've immediately gave them like the Rosetta Stone to uh, financial freedom, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's no. an experiment waiting to happen. It's like gonzo journalism. Think of Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Talk about aesthetic, man. Yeah. Oh, speaking of yeah, another one. You've been to Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> artist. It's essentially the dude. Yeah, it's I can't his restaurant. Name. Uh, Stead, Ralph Stedman. Yeah, Sted, Yeah, it's the house that I mean. Stedman built. In a way, because I had been, I had, was at the original one on Ninth Street or whatever from ten years ago. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was nowhere near that, but like it was still on the menus and things, the art. But now it's like they have original pieces of his that he made specifically for the owners of Hell's Kitchen, and I believe just stuff that they've been able to acquire. Yeah. And yeah, so now you're you're seeing an entire brand's identity built on an artist. Oh, by the way, we also do really awesome homemade peanut butter and bison sausage, et cetera, et cetera. And the best Bloody Mary bar ever because I like to exploit it by putting so much food on top of my Bloody Mary that it fills up plates of food, which breaks the rules of conduct for restaurants. Right? Because the rule of a restaurant is like whatever they're selling you, they fill the plate. And like that's the, that's the value which they're now making at $10, $30, whatever. Point is, is that the plate is full. So if I'm buying a Bloody Mary and you're gonna let me put things on sticks and build out as whatever I can, enterprise architecture. This is a Bloody Mary. <laughs> Bloody this Mary is, is a it. service. Bloody Mary, yep. BM B Mass. Mass, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm all I'm thinking about are those plates. How many am I gonna fill up? Yep. Right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So branding. 
So yeah. Yeah, br- uh, branding is an identity to to build whatever on, and you know, putting the artist first and foremost, which is also sort of counter counter culture to the art community because there's still this sort of it's like highfalutin to be lowbrow, right? It's it's like mm-hmm. you're you're almost elitist. There's an elitist group of people like if you sell your art for more than a can of tuna, you're a sellout. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that makes no sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because clearly you haven't thought of yourself at scale. If I can make a shit ton of money and be as an artist doing art, imagine what I can do with that money. Right. I can make more I art. can scale <laughs> my imagination relative to my bank account. Dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Or you can buy Lambos. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, and then and that's the real thing, right? It's the narrative that the artist plays out because the money is the money is this neutral energy zone, right? Whereas like the yeah, okay, your favorite artist, you, you finally the, you give them more than a tuna can, and then like they go buy Lambos and then they stop making art. Well, yeah, that's a kind of a bad story. But even still, but like, like it's that's their prerogative. It's their choice. It's their prerogative, and to some degree, it depends on what they it, do with it. Maybe they decide they're going to now. Uber. Sure. No, right. That's their name would be Dead Mouse. <laughs> right. And they're just roaming around Canada in their Lambo dressed up as their alter ego, <laughs> providing a service, which is different than engineering music. Right, right. I mean, See, they, I don't know. I, I would buy into that. Yeah, I've never been in a, da- I've never been in a Dead, Mouse, Dead Mouse Uber limo uh, <laughs> Lambo experience before, so maybe he's in there mixing like, as he's driving. With that giant helmet on. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's Deadmau dressed as a Lambo, inside of a helmet car. Yeah. Or if he like he goes back to Lamborghini and says, you know what, it'd be really great if you get on the self-driving car kick, and I can do full concerts with two people. Who am I kidding? One other person in the car in the Lambo with me. I can do a full show. <laughs> you just have to make it large enough for my head. Is this part of Toyota's uh, research institute that they're are they going to adopt this like wild marketing campaign with Dead Mouth? I would love to see that actually. <laughs> that 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 would be a good narrative, right? Like I, I feel like so if it got to that level with Lambos, like I would, I would definitely. Well, and that. we we had this conversation right before this podcast where maybe we we pitch. I don't know. Like, I don't know what Dessa would drive. So, like, whatever she's into. So we go to that car company and be like, look, we need you to be something. Maybe she's into Teslas already because she's already sort of a future forward-thinking person with, like, putting her brain in the in the, eight, the, what, the brain machine. What are they called? Help uh, me, help you, help me. The brain machine? MRI, right? MRI. The MRI machine or whatever. And she was oh, monitoring yeah. her... Her emotional state based on certain things from her life, right. like, I mean, so that's very cool. So like, we get Dessa and be like, Dessa, what do you like to drive? And she's like a rutabaga or a Winnebago or a rutabaga. Yes, a Winnebago. Vegetable. a vegetable or a Tesla or maybe it's a Vespa, a scooter. Who knows? And we get, right. go to them and be like, you know what? It'd be really great if you hurry up and get on the self-driving kick, so she can do a show. In the car, like with maybe one other band member, like on MTV Unplugged, or maybe they're just like plugged directly in. Make sure to get that jack in there. Plug it in, ready to go, and then have two people in the back seat. And those two people are paying her in DESA tokens for this experience. Or it's a or it's a reverse thing. Like maybe DESA has DESA tokens that. Maybe she's into Lord of the Rings, and then it would be Dessa J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, she does like a cover of Enya's May It Be or whatever from that, from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and the two, like, two people sitting in the back, whoever that, whoever that is, no names here, it could be Sean and I, whatever, because we're pitching this great idea. <laughs> we're sitting in the back as a result of being great fans of like promoting for her, buying albums, buying her book that comes out in the fall, whatever. So, like, we're accumulating DESA tokens. And then those tokens can be used for a contest that allows us to win an experience to be in a self-driving vegetable with DESA and one of her bandmates 
and we can happily chug along 35 or whatever, 694 belt weight. Maybe the tour is like the entire 694, 494 ring. Right? It's the Lord degree. of the Ring. Total. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Full circle. See, here we are. <laughs> so art the ways artists can now interact with their fan base right. uh, is the sky's the limit. It's, it's that's not that's too low. It's no longer a moonshot, it's a Mars shot. Right, yeah. right. The cosmos. Yeah, and I want a Mars bar available to me in the backseat of this vegetable <laughs> while having this entire experience. Just right there. I mean, whatever, yeah. And it, yep. <laughs> so like how, how do we bring yeah, how do we bring artists to the table like, hey, right. you need to have a starving artist token. And it needs to be called that because that's the irony of that's the whole thing. Starving artist token. Right. We don't have it ready for Art World next month. It's a little, a little short. A little tight. Notice, a little yeah. tight to, to, to build that out. Yeah. Right. Next year. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, what other ways could could artists use a transactional database to get closer to uh, fan base or potential fan base? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where. Um, what could be cool is uh, there like when there's narrative behind art, how that narrative could intention like intentionally incorporate into the economized value of the piece itself. Right. So maybe there's some kind of meaning, like meaningful, uh, intentional form that's depicting this message. And then this message is tied to something that you can engage with in a monetary way that further immerses you in the piece or let's say like rabbit hole. You go further down the rabbit hole, the narrative, and then maybe it also gives the artist more, um, I guess, space um, to think about how far to take something. And I think, it, so it could help two sides, I think. I think it could help the, not just the fans and how fans get exposure and shares of, yeah, the part ownership <laughs> in the, the branding of this, but then also, what is the artist now? How can the artist think when they're, now that this is adopted, let's say it's happening, and now, now I imagine they would start creating, knowing that this is hap- available to them as tools. Yeah. So that could maybe enhance the art, the experiences as part of the art forms too, because who knows? I mean, when we're talking about art, it's like maybe it's sculpture, maybe it's video, maybe it's music, maybe so all those narratives could be vast and collaborative. I think. Um, like I know there was that one tokenized movie project. I think that came out, and it was just it was like a movie about crypto or something, and you know you could have part ownership in the film. Um, and I think you could even earn spots in the movie or, you know, like, but uh, it, as far as how meta that could get, as far as involvement, I mean, is pretty wild. Well, your sponsorship sort of moved because I don't know a lot of, I mean, what musician or like a, like a, someone who paints or does pastels or something like that. Well, I, I, I digress. Musicians have, get always get a lot of sponsorships with their, for their equipment, right? Yeah. Or the band members uh, get a lot of sponsorships in that way. And maybe maybe we renegotiate the terms of service between the relationship between the art, the, 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 art, the creator, and the, the, the supporters of the creator by leveraging more power to sponsors on their behalf. So... Uh, if there's a smart contract that delegates a certain f- like small fraction, half a cent or something, to whatever it is we we buy to the equipment that they that the musician uses, mm. uh, the, the 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 sponsors might have better. I mean, it's almost like we're we're negotiating as supporters. We're directly negotiating with. The people that they have relationships with already, because they they choose to use these this equipment for a reason. Yeah. Or these 
they choose to ch they choose the tools particular for one reason or another. Right. Uh, and this would be a way to sort of directly incentivize the the sponsors or their vendors for them. And what what other unique relationships could form out of that? Because in a way, are you're not just supporting directly the creator, but you're also supporting the creator's uh, tool, like people that create for that, right? And that's sort of that meta that's cool. trail that goes down. Yeah, that, to the um, opening up of markets that didn't exist before. It's like making more connections there. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's amazing. I would, It's 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 expansive, right? And so I th there's a there's a. I love this topic. This is my favorite reason I love this topic. It's because it's like protocol talking. Protocol is like talking like so neutral and like especially with out having to. We already talked about like trustless and all that, but like yeah. not having to worry about um, all these processes in the middle of getting things done. It, it becomes more collaborative in general, and I think I think we're at like a unique time where people are just learning how to actually communicate. Like I don't think the adoption of blockchain and and crypto and all this stuff is like slowed down by just strictly like one subject matter of like regulation or tax day or blah 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 or whether the market's up or down and all this, it's like really like people learning how to have, it, have this conversation. And, and it's a process, I think. Like having it be such a neutral topic and all these different ideas that we're forming around even just one subject matter and one market, like an artist quickly becomes like 20 markets. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're all serving different functions and needs between now all these different parties and I think back to social media you know when we were having a hard time communicating about that when it was like every department was siloed but to be a brand and have a presence um, and be social and truly like a connected network you need to break down it was the whole break down the silos thing yeah. it was like I don't know eight years maybe more ago and um, it just reminds me of that time Yep. where we are understanding the technology generally, like the builders who want to build it in it are getting, laying their roots down. It's like infrastructure time. But now we have to learn how to have this new conversation in ways that we're, have, humanity has never seen, at least that we know of in history. Like we don't, that's another fascinating part. It's almost like it truly is evolution because we don't have anything to reference where uh, the double spending problem has been solved as a technological use of like exchanging and opening up digital markets that represent metaphysical like that's just a totally yeah. insane idea like to, and the way that we're talking is like um, I just imagine having this conversation with all those sponsors and that artist getting everyone on that same page and like understanding the impact of that socially or like where is the ROI I think is like where a lot of the you know and where in the IP we talked about like, how do we protect IP if we're going to be so public about it or like what would that look like you know and obviously there's like initiatives with like security that are still being developed by yeah. programmers but like Z snarks or whatever but yep. it's like I don't know, it's just, that's my favorite part about this whole thing, is that it, like, brings on creative conversations with people who don't normally talk about this type of stuff as expansively as it kind of, like, it kind of backs you into that corner of being creative, you know, socially, and I like that a lot, so. Groovy. Yeah. Well, we've maybe hit the natural long tail. <laughs> about a conversation because yeah. that's an, uh, all the taffy one can chew on for, for now right? <laughs> yeah I think you're right yeah cool so yeah. 
We're wrapping up another episode. Uh, I'm here with... Sean. Sean. Sean Puppy Chains. Esquire, third. Can't wait to get my egg. Can't you guess? It's coming, right? All right. And I'm Matt. And uh, thanks again for listening. Check us out at makersofchains.com and all of the social media, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. We're not on it. Uh, F us, right? Like, we're doing our best. All right. Thank you very much. Later. Thank you.